This is the Visit the Zoo podcast, episode number 85. Today we hear about the animal news of the day, plastic pollution, and the tardigrade. And hello and welcome everybody. This is another episode, number 85 of the Visit the Zoo podcast. And I am your host, author Frederick Fishman, creator of the 12 book, 120 animal series of Kindle books, print books, audio books, and a DVD title, Visit the Zoo. We have a fascinating episode for you today. And I do want to thank you very much for joining me. A couple of heads up. My main author site is at frederickfishman.com. It's spelled, last name is spelled F-I-C-H-M-A-N. And our new site is grocery-bags.com, where we are fighting the onslaught of plastic in our environment. And we are encouraging you to use these reusable grocery and tote bags. Okay, we've got a lot to cover today, so let's get started. So we'll do some animal news here. One is a a sad story about an animal that I've visited and I've seen, and that's a jaguar by the name of Simone, and she had to be euthanized a couple weeks ago due to health and age. And the Reed Park Zoo's jaguar, which is here in Tucson, was euthanized a couple weeks ago. She was 23 years old, and she was euthanized due to age-related health issues, according to a news release from the zoo. Kidney disease and pancreas issues are common in elderly cats of all sizes, wild and domestic alike. She was the oldest jaguar at an association of zoos and aquarium accredited zoo. The association has 236 zoos and aquariums in their organization. Simone lived almost half her life at the Reed Park Zoo, arriving in Tucson from another zoo when she was seven months old. The jaguar's coat was darker than usual, with yellowish and brown spots. And in the bright sunlight, guests could see the black rosettes typical of jaguars showing through Simone's nearly black-brown coat. She was beautiful. The zoo's animal care staff spent a lot of time carefully observing Simone, monitoring her diet, caring for age-related issues. The animal care and veterinary staff determined that humane euthanasia was best for Simone as her health declined. Her sister, Nikita, died in 2017, also due to age-related concerns. The median life expectancy for jaguars is 18 years old, and she was 23, by the way. According to the International Union for Conservation of Nature, jaguars are near-threatened in the wild. Populations are rapidly declining in southern regions of the United States, Mexico, and South America. For today's animals and plastics news... I want to read an article from the Independent newspaper, which is based in London. It's an online newspaper. And this article talks about Japan's famous Nara deer are being killed by tourists and plastic waste. Six deer have died since March. Uh, Japan's famous wild deer, which attracted more than 2 million visitors to Nara last year, are dying at the hands of the tourists. Six of the deer in the Nara Park have been killed due to swallowing plastic left behind by tourists since March. An autopsy showed that one deer had 4.3 kilograms of plastic in its stomach, reports the Telegraph. 
An additional 29 deer were killed in traffic accidents in 2018 as animals often wander into the busy road to be fed by visitors. The park, which spans about 5,000 square miles, is home to around 1,200 Sika deer. They are considered sacred and protected as a national treasure status in Japan. For tourists, the main attraction is seeing the deer bow, which they have learned to do in exchange for food. Stalls selling senbei snacks, which are Japanese rice crackers, to feed the animals use environmentally friendly packaging developed by the Nara Deer Welfare Association. However, many tourists will bring their own single-use plastic waste and are not as careful as they should be when discarding it. Plastic bags, ring pulls, cups, and bottles have been spotted all over the park. These sacred animals are being treated as a commodity used by tourists to snap the perfect shot for Instagram, and not enough is being done to ensure their welfare. Japan is second only to the U.S. in plastic waste per capita, a shocking indictment of inaction gripping the developed world, while the excessive plastic pollution is a problem which goes beyond the confines of Nara Park. So what I want to do now is just play you a little clip that just came on the CBS Weekend News about this continuing plastic problem. It was another beautiful summer Sunday across much of the Aloha State today, but not all was perfect in paradise. Carter Evans on the Big Island shows us why. Hawaii is home to some of the most beautiful beaches in the world with picture-perfect shorelines. But it's pictures like this no one expects to see. We're here at Camilo Point, um, and it is unaffectionately known as Trash Beach. From car parts to shoes, nothing surprises volunteer cleanup organizer Megan Lamson. This place is like a catchment system for trash. The whole Hawaiian archipelago sort of acts like a sieve and captures a lot of the floating debris. Globally, 18 billion pounds of plastic waste end up in the ocean every year. That equates to five grocery bags of plastic trash sitting on every foot of coastline around the world. That looks like it's from Asia. In just one afternoon recently, a group of volunteers picked up more than 1,400 pounds of trash off this beach. But they were only going for items larger than a bottle cap. That means all of these microplastics were left behind. And it turns out this is some of the most dangerous debris for marine life. This to me looks like evidence of bite marks. So something that was out there was taking bites of this bottle and trying to ingest it. When animals eat these microplastics, they can end up in our food supply. It was very striking to me when I moved out here how much plastic was in the sand. I just want to come out with tweezers and like it's impossible to do it by hand. So a group of Canadian engineering students came up with a solution. It's essentially a sand-sifting vacuum that sucks up and separates microplastics. They recently tested the prototype on Camilo Beach. How did that go? It went really well. It's the best, the best most innovative um, microplastic marine debris machine that I've seen yet. Still, these volunteers say the one thing that would make the biggest difference is if people reduce the amount of plastic they use. Do I think that beach cleanups are going to solve this problem? No. Carter Evans, CBS News on the Big Island of Hawaii. And that little news clip, by the way, is just part of what we're going to be doing here from week to week. This is week number one of a new segment that I'm going to be introducing at the top of each episode, where I'm going to discuss this problem, this worldwide fight against plastic, which is killing millions of animals on the land, in sea, and in the air. 
And to do that, I've started a new company to help push reusable grocery and tote bags. And you can go to that site to take a look at all of the designs that we're putting up daily. We're adding to that collection. And you can go to grocery-bags.com. Again, that's grocery-bags.com. And we come to our next segment block, the animal description segment. And we have discussed animals, huge animals like elephants and the largest mammal on the planet Earth, which is the blue whale. Now we're going to talk about one of the smallest and one of the sturdiest and hardiest of all the animals. And that description we're going to have today is about a little thing called a tardigrade. And this is what it sounds like. That's right. You didn't hear anything because it's too small. It has no vocal cords. Anyhow, I want to tell you a little bit about the tardigrade. It's also known colloquially as water bears. And they are a phylum of water-dwelling, eight-legged, segmented micro-animals. They were first described by German zoologist Johann August Ephraim Getze in 1773. They have been found everywhere, from mountaintops to the deep sea, and in mud volcanoes, from tropical rainforest to the Antarctic. Tardigrades are among the most resilient animals known, with several individual species able to survive extreme conditions that would rapidly be fatal to nearly all other known life forms, such as exposure to extreme temperatures, extreme pressures, both high and low, air deprivation, radiation, dehydration, and starvation. Tardigrades have even survived after exposure to outer space. There's about 1,150 known species, and they have a fossil group that dates back almost 530 million years. With the naked eye, they're very difficult to see. They have claws on each one of their little hands, and they can survive from minus 328 Fahrenheit to plus 200 degrees Fahrenheit. To survive, the tardigrades eat fluid. They suck on juices from algae, lichen, and moss. And some species are carnivores, even cannibals, and they will eat each other. And like I said, they can live anywhere, in the jungles, in the desert, the Arctic, the Antarctic, your backyard, on the highest mountains, or even in space. Some species can live up to a century, but the average is a couple of months. And they will be here long long after humanity is gone. But here is the last and final description of this animal called the tardigrade. Do they live on humans? Well, tardigrades do not infest people or other animals. We eat tardigrades alive quite often when they're on fresh produce or in water. They may also survive many cooking methods. However tough they are, they can't survive a trip through the digestive system. So that's a little bit about these little things called tardigrades. Okay, here it comes again. Another batch of bad animal jokes. Now, I've warned you, and I've given you ample warning, so let's start. Eleven dogs shared one umbrella, yet not one got wet. How did they manage? It wasn't raining. What happened when the owl lost his voice? He didn't give a hoot. What should you do if you see a mean dog? I hope he doesn't see you. 
Where do you find a horse with no legs right where you left him? Oh, that's sick. Would you rather have a 300-pound dog chase you or a tiger? I'd rather have him chase the tiger. What's gray and squeaking and hangs around in caves? Stalagmites. What do you call a leopard with a carrot in each ear? Anything you want since he can't hear you anyway. Oh, that's painful. What is the difference between an elephant and a flea? An elephant can have fleas, but a flea can't have elephants. Why did the chimpanzee wear red suspenders? The blue ones broke. Why did the elephant paint his toenails different colors? So he could hide in the jelly bean bowl. Okay, that's not bad. Here's another one that isn't bad. How do you know when there's an elephant under your bed? When your nose touches the ceiling. What's the difference between a dog and a peanut butter sandwich? The dog doesn't stick to the roof of your mouth. What do you do if you cross an elephant with a kangaroo? Big holes over Australia. I warned you about that. I told you, you know, it's going to be painful. All right, folks, that's it. That's a wrap for episode number 085 of the Visit the Zoo podcast. And I want to thank you very much for joining me. I hope you had a good time. We'll do it again next week. And remember about our continuing fight against these plastic one-use grocery bags. There are 63 countries and 340 cities in the United States, plus the big states of California and New York, that have all gotten together to outlaw these grocery bags. So you've got to bring something with you. So you might as well check ours out. So do that at grocery dash or hyphen grocery dash bags.com and again thank you very much for joining me please come back next week where we will do another visit the zoo podcast bye for now take care